Hello everyone, welcome to episode 21 of a Badass Study Podcast. Today we are talking about task list item D4, which states to use modeling and imitation training. I relied pretty heavily on the Cooper book for this episode. It's been a while since I've thought about imitation in such a technical way. Um, in the work that I do, I do a lot of imitation with kids uh, and a lot of imitation training, but I had never thought of, well, when I was studying for the exam, I thought about the criteria for what exactly is imitation. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. And this might be a short episode, but again, better to get it done and out of the way. Okay, so what is modeling? Cooper defines modeling as a behavior change strategy in which learners acquire new skills by imitating the demonstrations of the skills by live or symbolic models. In more simple terms, it's engaging in a behavior for someone to view so that they can see what to do for that behavior. Models can be live or symbolic. A live model is you are standing in front of the person and you model the behavior for them. Symbolic models include pictures or video models. And we talked a little bit about video models on last episodes, on last on the last episode, um, remember, tasty videos are video models. In the tasty videos, they show someone making a recipe, and then you then imitate it, or not, if you just like to watch it like me and then not make it, that's also cool. Um, but tasty videos are video models. Um, what else are some video models? When I was in grad school, one of my professors, Dr. Sally Shepley, um, and her colleagues, Dr. Spriggs and Dr. Lane, they their research was heavily on video models and teaching students how to do just different skills with video models. All right, let's talk about imitation. Because in order to talk about imitation training, we first have to talk about what imitation is. So there are four criteria for something to be considered imitation. First, the imitative behavior is occasioned by another person's model of the behavior or the symbolic representation of the behavior. Second, the imitative behavior has formal similarity with the model. Third, the imitative behavior follows the modeled behavior closely in time. And finally, the model is the primary controlling variable for the imitative behavior. Okay, what does that mean? Let's repeat. First, the behavior must be caused by someone modeling the behavior. Number two, it must have formal similarity. Number three, it must follow the behavior closely in time. And number four, again, the model has to be the primary controlling variable. Let's talk about what this means and get a little bit more in depth into these criteria. Okay, so the first requirement um, basically means that someone has to model the behavior in the first place. You can't just like randomly imitate a behavior and say that that's an imitated behavior. Or you can't just randomly engage in a behavior and say that was an imitated behavior. Someone had 
had to have shown you or modeled the behavior in the first place. A true model is an antecedent stimulus with topographical similarity to the behavior. And this model can be a real person exhibiting the behavior, or again, it can be a video model, it can be a picture. The second requirement, it has formal similarity. What does that even mean? So formal similarity occurs when both the model and the imitated behavior both actually resemble each other and are in the same mode. In other words, do they look or do they sound alike? So you can't model a behavior and then have someone talk through the behavior. That's not imitating the behavior. For example, if your friend is teaching you to dance, it's an imitative behavior if um, it's in the same mode. So if you're both dancing, that's in the same mode. But if she's dancing and you're just making noises, that's not a true model because they're not in the same mode. Third, behaviors must be close in time. So I, another term for this is um, temporal relationship between the behavior and the model. And remember one of our first episodes we talked about taking data and um, temporal duration or temporal extent is another word for duration. So this is again, temporal means time. So the behavior and the model have to occur closely in time. And Cooper doesn't really give a number for like what number of time is too delayed for it not to be a model. However, just know that delayed imitation is not true imitation. So if you see, um, I can't think of a behavior model. If you see someone engaging in a behavior at 9 o'clock this morning and later in the day, let's say 12 o'clock, you show your friend what they did because it was weird, that's not true imitation. That does not follow closely in time. Okay, the final criteria. The model must be the controlling variable. What does that mean? Let's think about a couple of things. First, any behavior that you engage in has some reinforcing property. The reinforcer is maintaining your behavior. This is different for true imitative behaviors. For a behavior to be considered true imitation, it must directly follow a novel model's behavior. Again, it must be the first time the individual is seeing this behavior modeled. My dog is scratching. Um, so let's review. For a behavior to be a true imitation, it must directly follow a novel model's behavior, and it must be the very first time the individual is seeing this behavior being modeled. To quote Cooper, a controlling relation between the model's behavior and the imitator's behavior is inferred when a model evokes a similar behavior without a prior history of reinforcement. An imitative behavior is a new behavior that follows a novel antecedent. So if you see your friend taking a selfie, then you decide to take a selfie. You're not imitating her. You've seen her engage in that behavior, and you've engaged in that behavior before. So seeing her engage in selfie taking builds some sort of motivating operation for you to seek out that same reinforcement that comes with taking a selfie. But again, you are not truly imitating her because you have engaged in that behavior before yourself. So why is imitation important? Imitation is a hugely important skill. So it is so important that we know how to imitate. 
By spontaneously imitating others' behaviors, we pick up a whole host of new skills all of the time. In other words, imitation is a behavior cusp. And we'll talk about behavior cusps later, but just know it is a behavior cusp. So when you do get to behavior cusps, um, think back to generalized imitation. Cooper states that observational learners who discriminate the consequences produced by another person's behavior can better determine which behaviors to imitate. So let's think about this and think about why you imitate things in your own life. We observe the behaviors and consequences of others throughout our entire days. Think about trends. We see our favorite celebrities or influencers wearing a new style of clothing. We see that people think it's cool, they're liking the post, they're commenting, oh, I love that shirt, and then we buy that outfit. Um, I also will imitate people whenever I'm in a new situation, so I get so nervous about not doing things correctly, so I will sit back and watch before I try and do something. Um, I went to London one time, one time like a million years ago, it feels like. And I watched people get onto the tube, which is their public transportation system. Before I even attempted it, then I modeled that behavior, or then I imitated that behavior. And I 100% believe that here in Georgia, the majority of people would not wear masks. Um, but they are seeing other people wearing masks and they're imitating that behavior. Again, is that a true imitation of behavior if they've worn a mask before? No. So, but it's it's still, it's kind of relevant though because it is important because we do imitate other people's behaviors through observational learning. Um, you all, as supervisees, see your supervisor's model programs with a kid and then you imitate your supervisor's behavior. Think about if you didn't have the skill to imitate. It would be really hard for you to pick up on new skills. Cooper also states that imitation promotes the quick acquisition of behaviors. Again, so important for us to imitate. And our kids that we work with don't readily have the skill available. So we have to teach them how to imitate. And how do we teach them how to imitate? Well, we do that with imitation training. Okay, so what is imitation training? It is exactly as it sounds. It's teaching learners to imitate models of novel behaviors. Why do we need to do imitation training? Again, imitation is one of the quickest ways to gain new skills. If you do not have the skill to imitate, you're missing out on a ton of new contingencies that result in reinforcement. Okay, cool. So how do we teach how to imitate? So there's some good news. Um, there is an established protocol for you to follow. In 1974, Strifle came up with this protocol, which is comprised of five steps. The first step is to assess and or teach prerequisite, prerequisite skills. Next up is selecting the models that you want to teach, like what, what you want them to imitate. The third step is pre-testing. Um, the fourth step is sequencing the models for training. And then the fifth step is the actual imitation training. So let's talk about these steps in a little bit greater detail. Number one, assess for prerequisite skills. So what skills does the learner need to have before learning how to imitate? Attending skills. Your 
learner is not going to learn or imitate anything if they cannot attend to the model. The most basic attending skills include sitting and looking at the instructor and looking at the materials. If they have problem behavior that is um, interfering with their ability to attend, then you need to work on decreasing problem behavior first and then teaching prerequisite skills. Once you have taught prerequisite skills or the learner already has those skills, the next step is to select the models that you want to train. So you should start with simple models. For example, raise your hand, touch your nose, clap your hands. And once your learner can reliably imitate those models, then you can begin increasing the complexity of the models. For example, you could move from a one-step sequence to two-step sequences. So touch your nose, then clap your hands. Once they are reliably imitating two-step sequences, then you can move to three-step. So touch your nose, clap your hands, spin around. So they would have to imitate all of that all at once. The next step is to do the pretest. In other words, probing. So you probe your learner for um, skills that they already potentially have. So you want to see, you want to probe the targets that you've selected because if your learner is actually able to imitate the targets you've selected, then you don't want to focus on those targets and you want to pick new targets. Step four is to sequence the selected models for training. Simply put, what order are you going to teach your learner the targets that you have selected? And the last step is to actually conduct the training sessions. And basically, it, it looks like you saying, do this, modeling the behavior, and then seeing if they imitate the behavior. And if they don't, then you provide some type of prompting, depending on what level of prompting they need. There's some greater information or more information in the Cooper book on how to do this. I will, of course, put the um, page numbers in the show notes. And there's also some great guidelines in there for imitation training. All right, that was quick. Let's wrap it up. So as a review, modeling is a behavior change strategy or anything that demonstrates to show someone what a behavior is supposed to look like. Remember, in order for an imitative behavior to be considered truly an imitative behavior, then there have to be four criteria that are met. The first one, it must be caused by someone modeling the behavior. Second criteria, it must have formal similarity, aka it must look the same and be in the same mode. Third criteria, it must follow the behavior closely in time. Remember, delayed imitation is not true imitation. And finally, the model has to be the primary controlling variable, aka the behavior that is being modeled has to be a novel behavior. If you want more information, you can, you can read all about observational learning and imitation training and modeling in the Cooper book, chapter 21, pages 527 through 539. This will be in the show notes as well. Um, and that is in the third edition Cooper book. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at abastudypodcast at gmail.com. Please follow the Instagram at abastudypodcast. I am trying really hard to post questions of the days. Um, It's really more like variable interval instead of a fixed interval schedule. But um, yeah, so we, we opened up a new clinic 
here in Atlanta for my company, and it's been a really exciting but busy week. Um, so I'm actually going to be working with someone to post questions of the day more reliably. So hopefully those will be coming to you uh, a lot more frequently. So follow at ABA Study Podcast on Instagram. You can get, there are already some questions of the days in the highlights, and you can find cheat sheets for previous episodes. And yeah, if you want to support the podcast, please rate and leave a review with some behavior-specific praise. Please keep sharing. You guys are rocking it with getting the word out. And I want to remind everyone that there is a survey in the Instagram bio so you can leave some feedback, some maybe more specific feedback. Next episode is covering task list item D5, which states to use shaping. So I will see you guys next week and on Instagram.